Welcome back to Plugged and Unplanned. It's Tony Nash with you, and I have a author back again for their second book. I think this might even be my first um, comeback on the show. Shana Kennedy, the author of Life Plan, and we were just discussing 100,000 copies sold of the Life Plan published in 2015. She has a new book, Plan B. Welcome to the show again, Shana. Thanks, Tony. It's really exciting to be back. And we were just discussing off air the uh, 100,000 books of one title sold in Australia is really some rare air. There's very few authors that get to say they've sold 100,000 copies of a, of a specific book. C- congratulations. It's amazing. Thank you. It was a really um, interesting journey, that book, because it was one of the first books to have pictures in it. And, um, you know, they take a, took a big gamble on me, uh, the dream that I wanted to create. And, and um, I'm so, I feel so grateful that it's still going, it's still relevant, and it's still out there. Yeah, that's so great. And you must get lots of terrific feedback over the years and success stories that people have used the life plan and, and worked, worked through the worksheets and the, and the, the, the tactics and the, the putting yourself in into a situation where you need to think about your own personal dreams and aspirations and they've gone on and accomplished that. Yeah, I, I find that's the most rewarding thing. You know, I always write a book thinking, I hope it helps someone, just someone. But when every week you're getting emails or Instagram messages saying, you know, I've taken the book out for the third time. You know, I do it once a year. I go through and I re-look at my whole life plan and it's great to be reminded that we are not our job. You know, we've, we've got to build our life, not just our career, um, and build build ourselves as a whole person. So it's great that it, it's one of those books that keeps coming back out of the shelf. Can I ask you then, um, just on that, because it'll lead into uh, Plan B as well, um, the demographic in terms of women versus men, um, I have my copy behind me. Mm-hmm of the life plan. I can't have plan B. It's not out yet. So all I have is a few PDFs and, and teasers about what's, what's ahead. But um, so it's a, um, and for those, cause this is a, an audio podcast, it's a, it's a coffee table style uh, paperback book that um, is very easy on the eye in terms of the photographs and the, and the way that you've laid it out. Uh, very inspiring. Um, and you use lantern. I remember in the old days when um, Penguin, um, was penguin then had their their cooking um publishing imprint uh, but you've gone on i assume with the same style with plan b in terms of having that um lovely to hold easy on the eye gets you engaged approach yeah especially for plan b because plan b is all around you know what what happens when you get thrown the curveball and a lot of people are in a, a really stressful situation, very vulnerable situation. So I didn't want them to just read a book as such on how to get through it and how to master change and and adapt and pivot and move. So I actually wanted to take them on a journey, which is like a bit of a road that you travel through change. And so we sort of took a little bit of the life plan look and feel about it so that it was comforting for them as they went through the journey. Mm. So uh, just going back then to, I kind of went off on a tangent there because you hold your book in your hand and you kind of end up going on a bit of a tangent. You just want to hold it and hug it and, and open it up. But um, I I started to go on about 
the demographic and women versus men because I know you've sold a lot of copies into Kiki K and to Suzanne and to and to some of the other big uh, female um, apparel um, chains and and done extremely well tens of thousands of copies sold um, is it more for women or do you is it a 50 50 do, do you feel that it skews more towards the female market how how's that gone yeah I, I wanted it to be gender neutral but I think women naturally are drawn to the pictures in the book but in the corporate world I do sell a lot at conferences as well so it does end up in in the hands of a lot of men. And I think they find that because there's a lot of pictures in it and everything is summarised for them, it's quite an easy read and an easy journey where they can quickly pick up, oh, what, what would my life be if I lost my job? Like, have I got a life plan going? So I think 70% of women pick it up quickly and naturally. And when the men are given it, they really enjoy the journey through it. Mm. So, so plan B... Is it a sequel? Is it like the trilogy, the the Lord of the Rings of Shana Kennedy, or is it the is it actually um, uh, the life plan is really for one group? And because I did read a little bit about what Plan B is about, um, and I'll let you talk to that a little, um, or is it very much um, an independent standalone book? And if they never use the life plan, would Plan B still be something that's appropriate to them? Yeah, it's a standalone book, but if you've got your life plan and you get the curveball, you pick up plan B. But plan B came to me at, you know, two o'clock in the morning one day. And I woke up, I was, I had the whole Jerry Maguire moment. I was in this sweat and the whole book dropped into my head. And it was the first week of lockdown last year in Melbourne. And all of a sudden, all of my business was cancelled. I had my 24 conferences cancelled. That was my income from the year gone. Um, everything that I was doing, all of my coaching and cafes and going into buildings, all shut down. And I found myself actually sitting out in the backyard with my husband saying, what if my career is over now? What if no one wants a coach? No one's going to invest in themselves. They're going to go into survival mode. And I had to sit in this awful feeling of um, change that I couldn't control and really think about what did I want to do to move forward and when we acknowledge change it's really uncomfortable and I actually was thinking about all of my clients and the changes that they were going through so I had that moment I got up at two in the morning I just opened the laptop I typed out the whole introduction I did all the chapter headings and I just said, I know exactly what's going to happen. And I know I've been coaching for 20 years. I've been coaching people through crisis for 20 years. I can now summarize this for them and put it into a book. So I wanted to make it real simple and give them a journey so they could see where they were along the pathway of change. Um, and so it was this very strange moment where at you know, 3.30 a.m. I press send to Penguin and said, what do you think of this? And my husband was like, you're crazy. You didn't proofread it. You didn't even check if it was good. You just sent it. And I said, I just had to get it out. And they loved it. And they said, go and write. Go and write this book because I think the world might need it. And it was originally called Pivot. Um, that was the word that came to me at 2 in the morning. But by the time I was writing the book, it had been used so much that... Um, no, it's not called pivot. It's going to be called Plan B. Mm. 
Terrific. And so I remember when we did our original podcast, I should have looked up at the date, but it was around that time you had just gone into lockdown as well. So it must have been around that time that you had, um, we had had that initial um, podcast around the life plan to then have, um, and then you're in motion with, with this one. So once again, I have another author who has a COVID book. Um, and here we have Shana Kennedy's COVID book. There's plenty of them. And it's been great to have so many talented authors um, tucked away in their, in their caves um, producing content for all of us because um, normally you'd be on the road, normally you'd be doing all these events just like everyone else. And it's hard sometimes to take stock and stop. And, and so I think um, there's going to be many uh, terrific books coming out over the next year or two as, as people were able to um, stop and, and, and just contemplate and think and get to write. So how long did it, once you had kind of had the framework, it sounds like you already had the shell um, to then um, you know, finish it off. What, what was the, what was the timeline there? That's an interesting journey because we were in lockdown and we had 8 PM curfews. You weren't allowed to move five kilometers from your house um, I had my two teenagers here homeschooling. I had my husband here. He's a CEO running his business. And I ended up in the car sometimes. I just like, I need to go and sit in the car for some space. And I said to my husband, I have to write this book. It's, it's, it's hurting my head. It has to come out very quickly. So I hired an Airbnb one kilometre from my house, um, this tiny little unit. And I moved in there for seven days. And I basically just sat there and didn't move. And I just poured this book out and in seven days, the whole lot in seven days. And I would get up at 5 a.m. and it would just start pouring. And I'd go for a walk around the block and get a takeaway coffee. And then I'd sit down and it would pour again and it would be 4 p.m. And I'd think, wow, I've been sitting here for seven hours and haven't moved. And by day seven, my back was broken, you know, my, my eyes were bleeding, um, but it just blew. I've never experienced anything like it, but I was in such solitude where I didn't have to look after the dog or the kids or my husband. It was just me and the book, which is a really unusual experience where you get that for day after day after day. Um, so it was, it was a beautiful journey to actually take myself on the ride of the four chapters of the book and really sit in them and feel them and write about them in, in how I felt and stories of my clients over the years. So yeah, it was a, it's a very different way of writing. So after all those Airbnb cancellations, your Airbnb host got lucky. Yes, I, I know. I was there for seven days. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Um, I'm sure they weren't expecting uh, to have an author go in and write a bestseller while they were renting it out for a week. Yeah. Um, so, but that's, that's quite a while ago. That's, that's almost a year and a half ago when you kind of went through that and to that now be um, a year, almost a year and a half, a year and a quarter later, say, after having gone through that process to finally only getting the book out. Now, what was the, what was the delay? I know you, you're very meticulous around the photography and around layout. How, how come it's taken uh, this long to get it to print? Um, I, I was ready in August last year. Um, I'd done everything in August last year. The fine-tuning, the editing, everything had been done. It was just waiting to fit onto a Penguin schedule. Oi. 
Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's amazing. I'm surprised about that, but um, well, we all have to be patient. I, I had to be patient. I was like, can't we just get this out before Christmas? It's yeah, no. So I really had to just be patient. And they said we'd love it to come out next year and early next year. And now it's like July, and but it's coming. It's <laughs> it's it's nearly here. But I didn't have any say really. Um, but I was ready. I was so fast last year. I saw it so clearly that I was so excited and so desperate to get this to people who were suffering in their lockdown, burnt out, lost their job, lost their marriage, lost their income. I really wanted to give them this gift. And so does it feel then almost, having written it so long ago, normally it's much closer to the to the uh, the creative phase, to them seeing the the output, does it almost does it feel a little bit like um, it's in the past now, or or does it still feel current for you? Um, it feels really current as I'm coaching people today in Sydney lockdown um, who have gyms and and businesses that are really suffering. But it wasn't just about COVID. This was about change and how people adapt to change and the four stages that we go through in the book. And whether it be, you know, um, my my son's got a girlfriend who's 17, it's the first love, and you know what happens when they break up and the world ends because, you know, they've had their first romance finish, um, right through to um, health crisis, having a health diagnosis, losing a loved one. I think this is a really timeless book that will go on for a very long time because it doesn't matter what change you're going through. You might be wanting to change um, and elevate yourself as well. So a lot of people who take big promotions or step up in their world, their world changes as well. As you know, you know, when you go through the IPO or anything, there is a big change. There's a shift in life. And we still sometimes grieve the past. Even though we've chosen to make the change, we still look back and we have to go through a small grief process about how life used to be so simple or um, things were simpler before I took this big promotion. Um, so that it's, it's relevant for, for any type of change that you might go through. Mm. So one of the things with, uh, with my podcast is I, I hate to give away the, you know, the punchlines, um, uh, any reason why someone would not want to go out and buy the book because we went into so much detail. They go, ah, oh, well, I, I listened to the podcast and Shana told me this and that. And so now I don't need to buy it. I, I, I do everything I can to um, motivate listeners to go out and buy your book. Uh, and, and so I, I will do that. But I am looking at your chapter headings. And I don't think if I went through some of them that it would give too much away. I think it's, it's very much about immersing yourself like the life plan into the book and and you are writing your own book by creating your own stimulating your own imagination and and thinking because everyone has their own life plan or their own plan b actually so so when when i look at the some of those phases those four phases that you talk about stop and breathe well boy that's that's a pretty easy one i can only imagine but um of course not everyone gets to do it but if you do if you do get um uh, triggered to say stop and breathe everyone can obviously do that um but is there for example is it difficult to do or if you just say hey guys um you should just stop and breathe and do do most people um kind of lock into that 
that first phase or is it is it harder than you think well the first thing is we need to stage one is recognize and respond right so um, we've had a lot of people we've had people take their life we've had um, people who've lost a loved one um, suddenly in the last 12 months um, we've had people who've lost their jobs we've had people who you know didn't cope with their mental health you know during this last year especially and the first thing I say to all of my clients is let's just stop and take a breath mm -hmm. and sometimes I was talking to 500 people on the screen on a Monday morning after a Dan Andrews announcement and the first thing I say well, let's just stop and take a breath and some people realize they hadn't taken a breath for a very long time mm -hmm. is we just need to slow the reaction down and we need to start where we are and we just need to take a breath. We're human beings. And when we're in a stress situation, you know, there's no blood in the brain. Our body is churning cortisol the whole time. We forget to breathe. We make bad choices. We react too quickly. And when you work with a coach, the first thing you do is stop. Let's just stop and breathe. Because the client will go off on this happened and this happened and they'll start talking at 100 mile an hour and I'll just say, well, let's just stop and take a breath. And they say, oh, thank you. <laughs> So when we're in a crisis or we're in a change or we get the curveball and we feel like our world has turned to lemons, just take a breath first, take a breath first. Uh, and I think people need reminding of that. So the whole first stage that we go through is to recognize what just happened, to take our breath, to acknowledge what's happened, to embrace the grief cycle, which nobody gets taught at school um, and then to choose our narrative a little bit about moving forward. So it really takes you on a personal journey, depending on your situation. Of course, when your world turns to lemons and you're a lemon farmer, that's pretty good. Exactly. We want to turn into lemonade, right? There's a gift everywhere, isn't there? That's right. Trees and trees of lemons. Um, yeah. Nothing looks better to, a, to a, someone who's got a lemon grove. Um, just out of curiosity, then, when you say when you said all of that, because you got teenagers and I've got teenagers, um, the life plan, plan B is: have you found that there's like some point where talking to an audience or giving um, some some aunt or grandmother or someone is shopping and they go, "Oh, this would be very good for my 15 year old." They're completely um, they've got no they've got no idea what they want to do is from your experience does most of the um the, the the information and the content that you create is more for people who have left high school and they're just trying to find their way in the world or or is it can you give it to teenagers um or are they just still they're still finding finding where they want to kind of create their horizon point yeah i think teenagers are in the world of surviving the world, you know, trying to find out who they are, um, you know, what their own personality is, find themselves their own box that their parents haven't put them in or, you know, really discover themselves. And I think it's in their early 20s. Um, I get an enormous amount of emails from girls and boys. I'm coaching a few really young men in their 20s who say, I, I just, I need a bit of structure. Can you help me create a bit of structure and a bit of a pathway based on my values? I don't even know what they are. So I think these 20-year-olds, it's brilliant. And a lot of 
girls write to me and say, oh, I just felt so nurtured to help find my plan, even though we don't have to plan perfectly, but it's like creating a little bit of a roadmap so you know where to drive. Mm -hmm. and what the basic rules of the car is. And when we have our code of conduct for ourselves, and we're very clear on that, it's quite easy to make decisions because we've just done a little bit of work to find out what's most important to us. So I think for young people, the life plan, and that, I think that's why it's done so well at Kmart and the Kiki Ks and the, is that that um, demographic has really loved it. Whereas the Suzanne type of crowd and the corporate crowd, they're, they're older. Mm, interesting. But, but okay, so um, I'm not going to be um, laughed at by my teenagers by saying, oh, guys, you should really use the life plan here. Um, then they're not ready for it yet is kind of like what you're saying is they still need to they need to um, make more choices in terms of what they want to do for their career or what they don't want to do for their career or what they, how they want to what circle of friends they might want or how successful they might want to be or what yeah. what what motivates them what what inspires them is that that's how it sounds right yeah yeah I think they're still in the discovery mode whereas mm. plan B you know when they break up from the girlfriend or the boyfriend or, you know, they've, they've got their part-time job and they lose their job or whatever it might be, plan B is written for them as well because we don't get taught what happens when we get the curveball. You know, everyone reacts differently. Some people start drinking, some people start partying, some people go and curl up in fetal position in the corner. Um, they don't understand what a human being goes through, the process internally. So the quicker we can educate young people about that and, and have a safe pathway through so they can see where they're at on the road, on the journey, um, I think that that would just bring me great joy. I wish I had this kind of book um, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I mean, from my, my um, keynotes that I do, I talk to budding entrepreneurs or whoever's in the audience, whoever has been forced to listen, um, I talk about uh that when something comes out of left field that you you least expected it and my thing is, is that if you're going to be in business stuff will come out of left field like you you don't have a choice to go well actually i prefer the the business where nothing comes out of left field um well that's not how business works and that's not how life works is in essentially what you're saying so um it's a adventure yeah, yeah. it's a road trip and there's going to be you know roadworks along the way there's going to be detours here and there and we need we need to be able to lean into them um, and see the big picture and the life plan is always giving you the big picture we're still going to get from melbourne to sydney to brisbane that's that's the road that you wanted to go but you might have detours a car might get a flat tire there's there's things that will happen along the way but if you're still focused on well we're still on the way to brisbane you know we're still on this journey then we can have a little bit more perspective. Yes, yeah, so, but um, and but absolutely, you will get um, stuff thrown at you, uh, mm -hmm. no matter what. I mean, I'm sure even the queen, or the the princess, or some I don't know, some royalty, or someone who's so cocooned in in lavishness and and support people, they'll they'll still have something that they have to deal with, which they least expected and. And, yeah. were, and and didn't really want to deal with, but um, that's the way life works, including a pandemic. Um, everyone globally has had, had to address that. So it's a it's an important thing to, to everyone to understand. So then when I look at perhaps one of your other areas, embrace embracing the grief is one of the other sections of your book. 
um, that that can be tough for some to to be able to surrender to that um, to what hasn't happened and dealing with that disappointment. Um, did you, when you were writing it, or the way that you talk you talk about dealing with your your clients and and groups of people that you work with, is that is that a tough one? Yeah, I mean, it happened to myself with chronic fatigue and depression myself. You know, at age 30, I couldn't even work. I couldn't get out of bed and it changed my life forever. So I can't go and party. I can't go and drink all night. I can't go and do these things. My body won't do it. So I have to live a life that's very cocooned, I suppose, where I have to protect my energy and my health. So it changed my life. And that was an awful thing to have to go through at 30 where all your friends are out having a great time and you have to go home at eight o'clock, you know? Um, so it is a, it was a huge grieving process. It's still a grieving process now. I still can't do what I want to do. I can't go running and I can't go and do things that I really want to do. So the grief goes on forever when you have a, a health crisis that changes your life. And that's when you adapt that, go into that radical self-compassion and allowing yourself to be compassionate towards yourself and be a bit kind to yourself rather than getting angry at it. We have to make friends with it and, and lean into it and try and work with what we can do and control the controllables. And when we just focus on controlling the controllables, um, you know, not focusing every day on I can't go running, but focusing on every day, what can I do today? Um, it's that mindset and and in the book, we go through the grief cycle, the six, seven stages of grief. So you can see where you're at on the chart and you think, oh, okay, I'm in there today, but it'll change tomorrow um, because nothing stays the same. Mm. Change happens every day. So when uh, when you're grieving, just out of curiosity, grief is something that I've always um, spent a lot of time contemplating and thinking and letting go of what didn't didn't happen or didn't work out the way that I want. Um, and I've I've made progress on it, um, to be fair, over the years, which has helped me in business and in life, probably more in life. Um, but did you just say that, um, and you don't have to sh share the seven stages? Uh, it's probably out there anyway. It's not. So, I, I don't think it's something that you've invented. It's 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 out there, so people can probably Google that. But do do you do you when you get to the seventh stage and you complete the seventh stage, are you saying that actually you could very well be invited? in inverted commas to go back and re-enter the same grieving phase again even though you've hey i've just i completed stage seven i thought i was done with the grieving but you're actually re-grieving yeah. again something because something happened and you didn't realize it was even deeper than you than you thought was there yes correct so this whole book is like a handbook of like a car manual and it's you know, you fix the tire, but sometimes you, things might go a little bit flat again and you don't have to spend so much time on it. You just have to give it a quick pump. So things will trigger us to say, oh, yeah, I can't do that and I've got to go back or I really miss my partner or, you know, I really miss my old job or whatever it is that you've had loss over that you won't take a year to get through the grief cycle or six months. It might take a day. And you'll just recognize, oh, I went into my slump again, but it's really quick to get out of it because we can't erase the past. It's there forever. It's a part of us. It's made us who we are. So rather than falling back into the trap and getting stuck there, 
it's much easier to to get to flow through those stages. I mean, I'm not paying you for your mentoring or counselling services here, so I'm kind of yeah. cheating. But on behalf of all our listeners, um, which this might be very helpful. Um, um, so in terms of of kind of dealing with that that grief, like in and just in in terms of the emotion when we medicate ourselves through alcohol or food or time wasting or doing something else that we shouldn't be doing like all those things that we do um do you talk about that in the book and and how we kind of um kind of ignore the door that says that this is the grieving room or the grieving wing um and you're going to make your way through the you know the the house of horrors to the very end and we go off and we we could walk through that door, but we're not. And therefore, are you talking about realizing those behaviors that we have that stop us from grieving to then give us the courage to start to grieve and not um, use those those crutches that we have? Yeah, I think so. I mean, last year when I was um, coaching big groups on the screen, you know, people saying, oh, you know, I'm drinking every night or I'm finding myself in a slump or I'm addicted to Netflix because I just can't get off the couch. Or I said, but you're actually grieving. And when they could put a name to it, they stopped being so harsh on themselves saying, I'm pathetic, I'm hopeless, why can't I motivate myself? They realize I'm actually in the grief cycle. Um, and when I share all of that with them, they think, okay, I recognize where I'm at, but I need now to help myself through and move forward. So it's less scary. I just think we're never even taught about grief at school or the feelings that we might feel like we've got that really stuck energy or we're unmotivated or we feel really flat that day and you don't know why and you just can't put a finger on things. When you think about what you're grieving, oh, yeah, I can't actually go and see my mum or I can't sit in a restaurant or a cafe and sit down and have a coffee which I realise now is a big part of my life and it's not here now. So that's actually, I'm grieving that. And then you can acknowledge it and then you can move on. Until you acknowledge, you, you don't move on. I have to share with you, um, with you and the listeners um, this one story. But, and I know that I'm, I've done quite a few podcasts on, on one or other of the podcasts. I know I've shared this story, but it's really relevant now. So I'm going to share it again because you may not, or the listeners may not hear the others. So uh, many years ago, I did this ten-week um, course uh, with this um, with this guy, Australian guy, who had spent um, many years in India uh, training as a as a Swami, um, meditation and other other transcendental kind of things. And I did this ten-week workshop on every weekend, and mm -hmm. and. It, I got confronted with a lot of different things which I had never expected before, never thought about before, but it was quite illuminating. But I remember one thing that he said to me on one of those weeks or to us at the group on one of these uh, weekends, he said, look, when I was in India, they were about to have a three-day workshop where um, um, everyone was coming from around the country, 800 people to do this meditative workshop and and his guru was going to be running this workshop. And an hour before the event was supposed to start, word got through that his guru's guru, the great guru, had died. Mm. And everyone was really shocked and upset. And the, the three-day weekend 
you know, Friday to Sunday workshop, um, 800 people coming. And the guy got this news, who was about to facilitate this workshop for three days and heard the news, got up, rushed to his room and slammed the door. And everyone's going, oh my God, oh, oh no, that's, that's, this is terrible, what terrible news, what are we going to do? All these people are arriving, how's it all going to happen? And, the, and 15 minutes later, this guy walked out of the room completely clear and ran the workshop. And what he shared with us, um, the guy that was facilitating our group, he said, this, this guy, this guru had actually learned the art of, of grieving without resistance. Mm -hmm. So grief and grieving doesn't need to be this long, you know, like walk through the valley of death um, to get to the other side. It actually can be done in a very graceful and very um, uh, unencumbered way. And I just wanted to share that with everyone because when I heard that story and I mulled over it and contemplated it in my life since when things haven't worked out the way that I want as part of these whole plan B things and having disappointment, I've actually been able to grieve with a lot feel the feelings feel the feelings and allow those feelings to be um um unaudited to be to with, without judgment and go that's how i'm feeling right now is it was is so important and i just wanted to share that with you and also with the listeners because it's been really really helpful for me as a as a leader of this company which is one of the chapters in the book acknowledge your feelings and fear oh wow okay yeah, very good. So that is a part of grieving because um, when I used to go and work with some monks over in Thailand, they always taught me that whenever you feel uncomfortable, sit still in it. Grieve, sit it still, feel it, and guess what? It'll go. If we avoid it, it's just going to hang around and hang around and hang around for a year or however long until you sit still and feel it and let it go. So it is a it is a skill, and that's this book is full of the skills that help you move through change to get to the other end of the book, which is the awakening and the rejoicing and the radiation, where we want to celebrate. You know, there, there's been a change. It doesn't mean that we've lost our life plan. It just means our plan might look a little different. You know, that map to Brisbane with a detour just looks a little bit different, but it's still a great plan. It's still a great life. And we need to also remember that plan B can be just as great, if not better than plan A. So if you've lost your job or your business, maybe your next business is actually going to be better or your next job's going to be better or your next relationship is going to be better. Or maybe your life is better because you have this health condition like mine where I'm so mindful now. I've got such great depth to my life because I have to. I have to be aware. So I, I see it as the gift rather than the curse so it's that beautiful journey to get your mind and your body and your soul to that state um, rather than reacting in, in that beginning we want to stop and take a breath we don't need to create plan b instantly we've got to do a few things first mm. i mean we all actually um mostly i would say 99 percent of us are dealing with some reduction in capacity or ability through the journey of our life the fact that you were thrown something uh, very early on um is is um you know that's what happened to you but i mean i remember when i used to run the 100 meters in 11 flat and um you know if you saw a photo of me back in my early 20s and i had a six pack and 
now I have a one pack. And, and so we are all, we're all degrading to a degree. Um, and I think that's, um, so, so what you're saying, even though yours was kind of thrown at you a bit like a Mack truck and mm. you had to kind of deal with it in one foul swoop, but, um, uh, you know, for the rest of us, uh, which is happening so slowly over time, glacial type, um, mm. we, we don't have a chance to, to consider all of those changes like you had to do in one go but it's we're still doing that though aren't we we're still having to deal with our our i mean some areas we're getting better um hopefully in terms of our thinking or communication or yeah life plan um, evolving right so we keep evolving and there's a growth to that but there's also leaving behind some of the the seeds that were left behind but we're still evolving and growing as human beings as we age um, we're hopefully getting wiser. We've got a lot more experience in us. And we seem to be, as we get older, looking more for fulfillment rather than achievement. Mm. Um, when we're younger, we're more achievement junkies. And we just want to, you know, set goals and smash them and, and do all of these things. And as we get older, we look for, especially the pe people that I coach that are much older, who have sold their businesses and made a lot of money. They're like, where's the fulfillment? You know, we got the goal, but... I forgot about hobbies and friends and my health and my well-being and my relationships, but I'm really good at doing a deal. Well, the deals are over now, so we really need to build the person and um, really enjoy finding fulfilment in some of the really simple things in life. I think um, as I sit here and, and consider the book and everything that it's going to deliver for all of the the people that buy it or who are given it, um, there's a lot of lot of value. I, I can tell straight away this is going to be a huge success once again, like the life plan. But I think we do need to hold uh, Penguin Random House to account, the publishers, for not getting this out a year earlier. Think of all the people that it could have helped uh, during the pandemic. Um, we've got a there's got to be some sort of penalty or fine we can we can enforce upon them. To, to, um, <laughs> To make us wait, and for me, to say that because they're my publisher. But yes, I was, I was like, well, why do we have to wait? Uh, I can say it because I'm their biggest customer. Okay. Uh, well, w one of them. Um, so, um, but I think there's, there, I think everyone can, who's listening, can tell that there's, this is so relevant into the age that we live in. Congratulations! Is, is there? Um, we're coming to the end of our time, which is really sucks because um, we could go on for another hour. Um, but is there anything like in, if you think about or considered uh, the book coming out and what you wrote and what we've talked about or the people that you're, you've been counselling and, and consulting for over the last year that we haven't discussed that you wanted to share with us today? Um, I think it's about perspective a lot of the time. You know, if you, I do 20-year plans all the time. So when you look at a 20-year block and we've got a two or three years of upheaval and pandemic and having to adapt and lose some of our comforts that we've taken for granted. It's a really small window in the big picture. So it's about being um, leaning in. It's a really great time to reflect on your life so far, um, but also a really good time to upskill yourself in dealing with change because there's going to be so much change come from this for years and years and years to come. It's not gonna just finish. Um, that a lot of the skills in this book are really teaching you how to adapt quickly. 
um, and how to reset and refocus yourself and re-energize yourself because we're going to get a lot of curveballs coming at us um, on, a, on a weekly basis sometimes. So um, it's about equipping yourself, keeping perspective, focusing on our mental health and well-being is our number one priority. And, um, and I wish everybody a really safe journey. Now, you're obviously still counselling, mentoring, um, so people can reach out to you through your website. And I'm sure you you mustn't have too many slots left at the moment with what's going on. I, I, well, through the pandemic, I've started public programs, which is just so soul-nourishing for me. I love it. So um, I've always done the corporate work, and for the first time I've opened the doors to the, to the public where we're doing a five-week course, you know, on a Monday night, um, exhausted to energized it's called it's a whole course on self-mastery taking you from self-reflection to self-connection to self-leadership to self-management to self-mastery and just really equipping people with great skills great worksheets to take to their home and, and do for the rest of their lives so there's a new one launching on July 19 but um, yeah I'm, I'm really open for business I love that we can share these skills with the world how, how terrific. Fantastic. Well, and is that on shannakennedy.com.au or .com or? .com, shannakennedy.com mm -hmm. and shannakennedy Instagram and LinkedIn. Mm. Mm. Well, you heard it direct from the source, guys. Log on and get in action. So uh, con congratulations again. It's it's been, a, it's been a huge success of the life plan. Um, probably when you first wrote the life plan, what were you thinking? Uh, maybe we'll sell 3,000 copies or two that. Did you, did you have a 20-year plan for the life plan? No, no. I, I thought um, when I wrote my first book, Simplify, Structure, Succeed and Self-Published, I sold 12,000 and, um, and just out of my lounge room. And I thought, okay, I, if I could get to 15,000 books, that would be unbelievable i'd be so happy and that would be it forever and plan b is book number seven so isn't that amazing you just um, and i actually feel there's a few more in me which is exciting i thought i'd be finished and i don't know anymore but it keeps coming in so um yeah it's exciting times you'll get um you'll get a a wake up call at two in the morning and then you'll be off and you'll know oh here it is i was wondering when you'd show up like oh here she goes again <laughs> Um, and your husband's already uh, once he, once he sees you up at two a.m. and writing, he's already logged on to Airbnb for you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get her out of the house. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's got a she's got a masterpiece to write. Well, Shana, congratulations again! Uh, a huge huge thank you for coming on the show, and we wish you all the success. And we look forward to hearing of many uh, many lives that have been empowered to change and and for the, the very very better. Amazing. Thank you for having me, Tony. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or, if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast, and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at booktopia.com.au.
www.ghostbusters.com.au